Hey, LifeBridge, uh, we are here with the first of our keynote sessions for this campaign where we're talking about uh, in our campaign, the campaign was on praying like Jesus, and I'm hearing it in my headphones, so that's not great. <laughs> All right, I'm going to mute that. Okay, we're good. So we're here with uh, Jason Pfeffer. Jason is my cousin, and he is the pastor of the Practice Church, uh, a new church plant uh, down in Barrington area. So uh, we're going to be talking about how to experience God through the practices, and uh, really excited to hear from Jason about how we can do that better. So um, Jason, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions, and then, um, well, Jason, first, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Looking forward to tonight. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned in that like brief, terrible intro that got interrupted, but uh, Jason's actually my cousin. So we should have, uh, <laughs> we've got a little bit of a rapport going on here. <laughs> we were just laughing and joking about how we used to butcher chickens on the farm when we were kids. Um, so we'll keep all of that conversation. That's for the there. outtakes. That's for the long form. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll release that later. <laughs> All right. So first and foremost, uh, Jason, why don't you first just tell us how the, so you, the practice used to be a uh, offshoot of Willow Creek. So could you just kind of take us through how the practice came to be uh, within Willow Creek and just the beginnings, the origin story of the church for per se? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to come up with like a, origin story i'm trying to come up with like a jokey superhero version of the origin story but i i don't think i can think that quickly in the evening anymore. um yeah you know the the practice was uh started by a guy named aaron nequist uh he you know was on staff at willow and really began to frankly went through a bit of a season of deconstruction uh he was questioning a lot of what he had experienced growing up in the church, working in churches all, um, you know, all of his adult life and was recognizing that the things that he had been learning, the things that he had been taught, uh, the kind of uh, Christianity that he was introduced to wasn't really producing much fruit in his life. Like specifically, he wasn't finding himself uh, changed into the image and likeness of Christ. And so he began to question uh, what he was experiencing and the story that he had been told and the, the kind of Christianity that he had been uh, living in for so long and working in. And he began to study some things and uh, read some Dallas Willard. Uh, if you talk to people who are really passionate about spiritual practices, eventually you'll uh, come across them sharing that they read some Dallas Willard, and that's usually a catalyst point for them. And he began to read about the kingdom of God. And you know, he would say that you know, he had been a Christian all of his life, was raised in the church, like I said, worked in churches his whole adult life, and had never heard that the centrality of the kingdom in the gospel story. And, and that opened up a new world to him, right? I mean, the, the kingdom shifts the, the narrative of the gospel from uh, going to heaven when we die to experiencing God's kingdom here and now, because Jesus is pretty clear, right, throughout, throughout the gospels that the kingdom of God is near 
And, you know, and when Jesus, the Greek word there that Jesus uses when he says near, it's not a, it's not a, a word for time, like it's coming soon. It is close. It's like a proximity. So the, the kingdom of heaven is close to you. And so that just opened up a whole new world for him. <clears throat> and he began to consider what would it, what would it look like for a church to take, to take this seriously? And he set out, he made some proposals around Willow and was, uh, was given a gift of uh, an 18 month experiment. And he gathered a group of people around him and invited them to uh, contribute to figuring out what would a church look like that was organized around the kingdom and uh, frankly, understanding that the way to live in the kingdom is uh, through God's presence, right? I mean, if we, again, look at the gospels, Jesus over and over and over is inviting people to follow him. Um, I've always thought it'd be a nice, it's a nice challenge to read through the gospels sometime and notice how frequently that word follow or follower is used. How many people Jesus invites to follow him. And, uh, and the spiritual practices are, are a huge part of that. And so, so they set out to create this, uh, this, uh, church, a service, a gathering that was oriented around spiritual practices. And, um, and yeah, so they, you know, so a really kind of thumbnail sketch of what we do in the, in the practice is, uh, we worship and, and we, we worship liturgically. Uh, so basically what that means is we're singing songs and in the midst of the songs, we are reading scripture together and we are praying together all throughout our worship time. Uh, then we have a teaching and the teaching tends to be shorter. Uh, and then that teaching always leads into a spiritual practice. So rather than um, spending 45 minutes teaching that we are supposed to love our enemies and then finishing with, so this week, go try to love your enemies. We will talk about Jesus's teaching to love our enemies. We'll, we'll dig into to scripture. We will uh, walk through that teaching, but then we're going to say, how can we actually become the kinds of people who can love our enemies? Because I think if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things you'll realize is that if you actually believe Jesus wants us to do those things that he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, we can't do them on our own. Our willpower alone isn't enough. We have to become the kind of people who can do that. And, uh, and so spiritual practices are a key part of helping us uh, to do that. And so our teaching will always flow into a spiritual practice that helps us become the kind of people who can do what we've been teaching about. Uh, and then our our gatherings always end at the communion table. So the communion table then becomes this tangible experience of God's presence with us. And that's uh, and that's what we've been doing for, I mean, the, the practice has existed for seven years now. I mean, my contribution to it, I was a part of the community from the very beginning. I wasn't on staff. I wasn't a part of that original team. Uh, but a couple of years in, Aaron reached out to me and uh, offered me the opportunity to work with them. And uh, and here I am. Aaron stepped away about a year after I joined and uh, and I continue to lead it. And then here we are planting a church. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so share that now. So you're, you're uh, now planting the practice church, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, there's a long story behind it. I think, honestly, I think this is the direction that the church has been going, or this ministry was going from the very beginning. Um, it's interesting, Aaron, I, asked, I flat out asked him one time, I said, are you, are you going to plant this as a church? And I was just afraid because it was so meaningful to me. I was afraid they have deep 
connections to, um, to uh, Michigan. And I was just scared to death that he was going to take this and then go plant it in Michigan. And it was so meaningful to me. I'm like, I don't know, would we move to Michigan because it's so important? Um, and when I asked him, he said, no, no, that's not something we've ever planned. And it was so surprising to me. And then, you know, then I jump in and I mean, it's really been in a lot of ways, it's been a three year discernment, three years. Yeah. Three year discernment process, uh, for us, uh, multiple times in the last three years, we have asked the question, is this the time that God is inviting us to step out and plant the practice church? And, um, the first two times we asked, it was, uh, clear God was saying not yet that it wasn't the right time. And last, uh, July we were in Colorado. And we were pretty clear. It was pretty clear. My wife was on staff at Willow as well. And we were pretty clear that we were done at Willow, that our time was coming to an end. And so I was walking in the mountains and just asking God, so am I going to look for a job in another church or are we going to plant the practice church? And uh, I mean, multiple days of praying this and, you know, not hearing anything. I don't want to like, I don't want to make it sound like I ask God a question and God answers right away every time. So <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not my experience anyway. Um, I mean, multiple days of asking the question and one day I was walking and praying and I heard God really clearly said, the choice is yours and I'll be with you no matter what you do. And that was um, incredibly, well, I realized how meaningful that was once I got over the fact that I was like, seriously, you can't just tell me yes or no. Like you gotta just like push it back on me. Um, but once, But once I got past that, I realized how meaningful it was that God was willing to trust me to make a decision like that. Um, when frankly, I don't trust myself to make a decision like that. Um, and, and for God to say, you can choose and I'll be with you, whatever you do. And that means I could choose to plant a church like we obviously did. And, uh, and God is saying, I'll be with you when I don't really trust myself to plant a church. So the experience through that time, and frankly, in the last year, as we've been doing this, just the, the realization of God's, um, incredible love uh for me is uh it's it's amazing i mean planting a church is hard and it, and it's it's just amazing how i think this is true with everything this isn't just about planting a church there's something about walking through really hard times with god that reveal how deeply god loves us and how much god cares for us and i think that i don't know that we I don't know that we hear that as well when everything is hunky dory and uh, up and to the right. I think mm -hmm. there's some there's something about difficulty. Not to not to say that difficulty isn't hard, or I certainly don't want to um, make light isn't the right word. I don't want to just gloss over pain and and struggle. But there is something special about the relationship that we develop with the Lord as we walk with God through. Uh, difficulty and pain. Anyway, wasn't didn't think we were going to go there tonight. <laughs> amen. No, uh, amen and amen. That's definitely true. Uh, but yeah, not not totally where we're going. So I'd like to dive into that, but save that conversation for another time. Um, so the the thanks for sharing your backstory a little bit and the practice and how that got started at Willow. Just we can kind of get to know you a little bit and know know a little bit of your story and where you're headed right now. Um, so I wanted to kind of dive in and talk about the practices or, or the disciplines. So I might use them interchangeably sometimes. If there's a distinction, tell me um, what. <laughs> um, 
So when we talk about the practices, uh, what, just big picture, what are we talking about? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to give you my, my description. I mean, there are wonderful people like Dallas Willard and Richard Foster and just incredible people who have written a ton about this. But one of the things I've noticed when, when I've talked to people about spiritual practices and I use spiritual practices because the word discipline can have some baggage for people. In my view, there's no difference between a spiritual practice and a spiritual discipline, but, um, what I found is when I'm talking about spiritual practices, most people think I'm talking about like these big serious practices like silence and solitude and fasting and all of these, you know, centering prayer and all of these like really, really intense practices. But the reality is I define a spiritual practice as any activity that helps us to recognize and partner with God in the midst of our everyday lives. So any practice that helps us to connect with God's presence and to cooperate with God, to partner with God in our everyday lives, that is a spiritual practice. And I think that's important because spiritual practices don't have to be these big, heavy, serious things. Like for sure, silence and solitude and fasting, those are spiritual practices. But I mean, I'm assuming at LifeBridge, you guys have small groups, right? We call them circles. So circles. don't say small yeah, groups. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Circles. That's anathema. Uh, small groups are anathema in our community. <laughs> Excuse me. Circle. <laughs> I mean, a circle can be a spiritual practice, should be a spiritual practice, right? Mm -hmm. um, reading our Bibles is a spiritual practice, or it should be. But the reality is, like, if we define a spiritual practice as anything that helps us, to connect with the presence of God in our everyday lives and to partner with God's presence in our everyday lives, then it's possible for all of these things that should be spiritual practices to not be a spiritual practice, right? Like you can get up in the morning and you can read your Bible and, and it's just, oh, tick that off. Like check that off the list. I prayed, I, you know, I asked God to, you know, to take care of, you know, to bless my day, to give me a good day, to take care of my kids. And check that off the list. And now I got back to the rest of my everyday life. Um, but that's not a spiritual practice. But when our when we look at prayer as a way to connect with the presence of God, when we read scripture, recognizing like, to me, it's, it's really taking seriously the fact that this is the word of God. Like if this actually is the word of God, how can we open this thing up and read it just to check something off of our list? Like, if this is the word of God, it means that God is actually speaking to us in this, that God is mysteriously present in these words, unlike anything else that we could read. Like we, other books and writings are wonderful and helpful, but there's something special about this because of God's presence in it. And so if we approach all of these, if you approach a circle, right? Like a circle could just be a social club and there's nothing wrong with that. Like we need friends, we need people to hang out with, but if we're not recognizing that God is present with us when we come together in a group, when we don't recognize that, that we see God's presence in one another and we can, we can be tangible examples of the presence of God with one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, challenging one another, like 
when we experience a circle in that way, it becomes a spiritual practice. It helps us to recognize God's presence in our everyday lives. And, um, and yeah, so I, I'm, if I'm, I could talk forever about this, but that's to me is that's what a spiritual practice is. Any practice that helps us to recognize God's presence in our everyday lives and to cooperate with God's presence. Awesome. It make, the way you define it makes it sound not so scary too. We see. <laughs> I hope so. Cause they shouldn't be scary, right? Exactly. They shouldn't be. They, they should be, like you said, anything that helps us to connect and experience God's presence throughout our day. Uh, it just makes it less intimidating, I think, for us. Um, so basically every survey that I read about how we grow spiritually always kind of comes back to the practices and the, the <laughs> how, that this is the things that we should be doing to help us personally grow. Um, so how, first question is, how do these practices form us? Like, I don't know, how, how do they work? Uh, <laughs> I yeah. don't know if you can answer that. <laughs> that's a great question. I think one of the things that's really important to understand is that the practices themselves do not form us. There is nothing special about a spiritual practice. The way we are formed is by living in God's presence. It's God's presence that's transformative, not the practice itself. The practice is a means to recognize God's presence, to cooperate with God's presence, to listen to God, to respond to God, to uh, identify things that are obstacles to living our everyday lives in God's presence and then helping us to root out those obstacles. But the practices themselves don't change us. If we think the practices change us, we're going to fall into legalism immediately, right? So um, there's a story that I love to tell about my senior year in high school. And it was the first ever church camp that I went to. And uh, it was a district camp. So people from all over the Midwest were at this camp. And this particular time, I spent a lot of the week with a youth group from Paducah, Kentucky. And I would love to say that I hung out with them because I thought the youth pastor was really cool and he told really good stories and was a great guy. The reality is I was in high school, so I probably did it because of a girl. Um, but, but I spent so much time with that youth group from Paducah, Kentucky, that when I came home back to my uh, McHenry County, rural Northern Illinois home, I was speaking with a Southern accent. And I said, y'all a lot more than a dude from uh, McHenry County should ever say y'all. And the reality is I spent so much time in the presence of a group of people from Paducah, Kentucky, that I started to talk like them. And to me, that is a perfect analogy or a perfect metaphor for how we are formed in Christlikeness. It is through the presence of God. It is spending so much time with Jesus that we begin to talk like him, to think like him, to act like him, to love others like him. And really that's what this whole thing is about. And I said this before, like if you read through the gospels, and notice how often Jesus invites people to follow him over and over. In fact, I don't think there's any place in the gospels where Jesus says, believe in me, but over and over he says, follow me. And some people did and some people didn't, 
but over and over the invitation is to follow him. And you, you read things like John 15, where Jesus says to abide in me. And I love the, right, it's, it's John 15 is the, he is um, using the metaphor of a vine and the fruit. And Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, and you will bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. And I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases that in the message. He says, live in me, make your home in me. And I think when we do that, when we live in God's presence in our everyday lives, when we when we partner with Jesus in that way, when we recognize that everywhere we go, Jesus is there. There is never a moment in our day when Jesus is not with us. And when we recognize that and we pay attention to that and we live, I mean, I think you mentioned practicing the presence earlier, John, like when we are aware of God's presence, communing with God's presence, that's when we're formed simply by being in his presence. So how do the spiritual practices help us in that? If, it's, if that's true, if that's what the real invitation of Jesus is, to walk with him, to work with him, to watch how he does it. Now I'm, I'm doing another Eugene Peterson, um, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of uh, uh, Matthew 9, 28 to 29, I think. I hope I have the reference right. Right. It's normal. It's the, the yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. But, but Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come, get away with me. Watch how I do it and I'll show you how to have a real rest. Walk with me work with me. I'm totally screwing up the quote. I'm, I'm mixing, I'm jumbling it all up. But, but his teaching there is come with me, walk with me, live with me, because when you live with me, you will become like me. And the spiritual practices are simply ways that help, things that help us, activities or exercises that help us to live more fully in his presence. That's it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, no, we've talked about it. The brother Lawrence's book, the practice of the presence of God. One of the things that stuck with me that he said is if I was, if I was a pastor, like this is all I would talk about is the practice of the presence of God. And that's all uh, that was what fueled his entire relationship with God was just practicing God's presence throughout his day. Um, and what's so interesting about Lawrence is that, right? Like he was, he was referred to as the kitchen saint. Yeah. Right. Because he worked, because he worked in the kitchen, he cleaned the pots and pans, he mm -hmm. cooked, and Brother Lawrence himself said that that was work that he had a natural aversion to. He hated working in the kitchen, mm -hmm. and yet somehow, in the midst of a job that he couldn't stand, how many people can identify with that? <laughs> yep, exactly. In the middle of a job that he couldn't stand, John, you're not, you and I aren't allowed to say that. That's <laughs> us. <laughs> I can't, um, I can't say that. Yeah. But seriously, though, I mean, we've all been there. We've all had jobs mm -hmm. or, or responsibilities or things that we wish we didn't have to do. But in the, even in the middle of that, we can recognize that God is with us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the main obstacles, I think, to to uh, practicing the presence of God or to us. I think that's one of the obstacles that we would say to doing the practices is something like work um, or something that about just like busyness. So what are what are some of the common things that you hear? from from folks about why they don't uh, do the practices or what are some major obstacles that get in the way? Yeah, I think, I mean, um, you, you touched on probably the biggest and it's, and it's busyness. Um, there's this great story that John Ortberg told about Dallas Willard. I think it was when he first started working at Willow Creek and 
uh, he calls up Dallas Willard and says, okay, like I'm, I'm stepping into this job. I know it's going to be really busy. I know it's going to be like, there's a lot that's going to be required of me. What, uh, what kind of wisdom do you have to share with me? And, and, and John tells a story. He's like, he's got his notepad and his pen out and he's ready. And Dallas says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. John writes it down. He's like, okay, great. Got it. What else? And Dallas Willard says, that's it ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And the reality is when we when we are so busy, it, I mean, we become so distracted, we can't recognize God's presence with us. And, and so that I think, you know, when you think about it, like, you see people you haven't seen in a little while, and you ask them, Hey, how you doing? How often is the response busy or tired? Right? And, and we live such busy lives. And, and there's like, there's, there's truth in that, right? Like it's not, it's, um, I guess I would say it's, that's not an excuse in like, meaning it's not a, oh, well that shouldn't actually stop you. Right. So I think there is a, there is an aspect to this where we need to say, how can we be less hurried? What can we do to slow down? Now there are things that we have to do, right. And stage, like stage of life is a really important part of this, right? Like, um, I can't remember who, what, what her name was, who was just like, she's putting her Grace. kids to bed right now. Grace, Grace right. Yeah. Grace is putting her kids to bed right now. Like that's a reality, right? Hi, Grace. Grace yeah. is done putting her kids to bed. Um, but that's like a, that's a, that's real, right? Like it's, you can't not put your kids to bed, right? I mean, you could, but you would pay for it tomorrow. But there are things that we have to do. The question is, how can we do those things with, our attention on God's presence. Like how might it change the way we're putting our kids to bed if we recognize that God is with us in the middle of it? Like I wonder if when we recognize God's presence with us as we're putting our kids to bed and like I think of my kids who I can hear running around upstairs right now. <laughs> I like I I read to one of my sons and he loves to cuddle in close and he'll lay his head on my shoulder as we lay in bed as we're reading a book. Or, or it might, and, and so I might, I might have that moment and I might think, oh my goodness, is this how God feels when I turn my attention to God? Or I might get really frustrated and impatient because I've asked them to brush their teeth three times and they still haven't brushed their teeth. And now they're going to get a glass of water, which they don't really need right now because they've already have three glasses that are sitting there in the bathroom right now. And, and all of a sudden I can recognize, well, why am I getting so irritated about this? He's eight years old why am I getting so frustrated? And it might begin to reveal something in me, right? It might begin to reveal some, uh, some impatience. It might begin to reveal something I need to surrender that I need to, I need to let go of, uh, in my life. But if we, if we begin to pay attention to God's presence in those moments, those moments can become like spiritual practices, like those moments with our kids, with our, with a parent who's difficult, or a cousin or a brother or sister who is difficult or, or someone who we love, like those moments can be, can, they can become spiritual practices if we're paying attention to God's presence. And the beauty of it then is that when we begin to pay attention to God's presence in those moments, often God is whispering something to us. And you might have one of these moments where God says, ask, ask him about that one thing. And you ask that question. And all of a sudden they break out, they, they, just, they just fall apart in tears because there's something that God is inviting you into in that moment to love someone 
in a really meaningful way, or God invites you to take a specific step in a moment. And so that's where as we, like we can, so I, I don't even know if I'm really answering your question anymore, Johnny. I think, I think I'm just kind of going like, um, so yeah, so, so busyness is one of the biggest obstacles, but I think that we can, we can turn that around when we say, how can we cultivate a life that is the, the people from an organization called Renovare that was started by uh, Dallas Willard and Richard Foster, and it's just wonderful people. They call it the with God life. Like when we learn to live our lives with God, we can do that in the midst. We, sh we have to be able to do that in the midst of our everyday lives, right? Yeah. That's fantastic. No, I think, um, and, and I just want to bring it up again because I think it's so important. You mentioned it earlier and you mentioned it in this last response. I think when we are with God, when we're living with God and, and practicing the presence of God on a regular basis, those moments that usually cause those moments that were usually like externally focused, like you're talking about with your son, where like normally you're like, what's wrong with him? Why isn't he doing this? Why doesn't he get it? When we're with God, oftentimes those, those moments turn inward and we say, what is my reaction saying about me? And then we begin to be formed more into the image of Christ. That's what I've noticed in my life. When I'm, when I'm off and I'm not practicing the presence of God, I'm not aware of God's presence with me. That's where I tend to be really um, reactive and externally focused instead of like, God, what, what are you doing to my heart? What, what is this saying about my character and who I am and what do I need to do to become uh, more of a person like Jesus? So I just wanted to reemphasize that. Go and it's, and it's what's beautiful about this journey is that it's it's it really is kind of circular. There's an inward and an outward. It's it's like breathing. There's an inhale and there's an exhale. Like it's really important for us to understand that character is an inside out thing. And Jesus, again, all throughout the gospels, Jesus teaches that becoming Christ-like is an inside out thing, right? It's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean. It's what comes out. A good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit, right? Like over and over, Jesus teaches this idea that there's, there is an inside out piece to our character. I even think that the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you, you all know them, that um, these are not descriptions of a way to act. They're actually like, if we, if we are going to embody the fruit of the spirit, if we cultivate the kind of life abiding in Jesus, making our home in him, and we are being, we are cultivating a life that's uh, producing fruit and the fruit of the spirit. It doesn't mean that we act loving. It means that we become loving, which then leads to acting. And that's this beautiful cyclical nature is that it's internal, but it always flows out. And I think that's one of the big, one of the big critiques, and I think it's valid in a lot of places, one of the critiques around people who are passionate about spiritual practices is that it becomes a very inner focused and it's all about me, it's individual, it's, you know, it's kind of like this um, holy navel gazing sort of thing. But the reality is if we are actually paying attention to Jesus, that our formation in Christlikeness is never for our own sake. It is always for the sake of the world. I love, um, I love the Lord of the Rings. And, and I, the first time I read the books, I thought it was crazy because it, the, if you've, if you've read the Lord of the Ring, if you read the Lord of the Rings series or watched the movies, spoiler alert, the one ring is destroyed at the end. 
but I'm amazed that in the books that the ring is destroyed and there's still like 300 pages left in the book. Like it's insane, like how much is still left. And, and I always thought that was weird because that there's so much there. But what I love, my, one of my favorite chapters in the book is called The Scouring of the Shire. And it's when it's when the, the hobbits make it back to the Shire and they find that the Shire has been taken over and, and it's actually like being run in like, it's just, it's, it's closed off to the outside. The like, like people are like, it's just, it's, it's full of um, anger and hatred and suspicion. And now these four hobbits who just went on this journey, they are so changed. They are so different from their journey that now they come back and they come back with Gandalf and they, they see what's going on. And Gandalf is like, no, 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 you got this. You don't need me anymore. And it's because of their formation over the course of this journey that they are now able to, to liberate the Shire from, from those who have taken over. So I love that sense that our formation is never for our own sake. It is always for the sake of the world. Amen. So that's one of the criticisms often levied against uh, spiritual practices. Um, one of the other ones is that it spiritual practices can become like a form of works-based righteousness. And I'm sure you hear that often. And when it, when it comes up, I'm sure it's not posed as a question. I'm sure it's more posed as an <laughs> accusation. Uh, but how do, you, how do you answer that question usually? Yeah, I, the reality is they, they easily can be approached in that way. Like there is, there is, a, um, there is a danger in that, that we begin to think that the spiritual practices are what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're saved somehow by doing those. Um, the reality is, I think if we understand spiritual practices rightly, which, I mean, I, I don't know that I need necessarily need to keep reiterating, but like if we understand spiritual practices as simply a means to an end, and that end is to live our lives in the presence of Jesus, to follow Jesus, to abide in him. This is all scriptural. I'm not making up any of this language. If we see the spiritual practice, not as the end, but as a means to that end, to relationship with Jesus, to be his disciple, his apprentice, if we see them from that perspective, then, then they can't be works righteousness. They can't be works-based faith. It is all about presence. Good deal. Thanks, man. Um, one last question, then I'll open it up to you other guys. Um, the, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Our, our campaign is on prayer. And we've been talking about praying like Jesus prayed. So can you just talk to somebody whose prayer life is kind of just like in a rut or they feel like it's, it's just kind of just going through the motions or they're too busy to pray um, to, to help let's just like reinvigorate their prayer life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, so I, I feel like the way I've talked about spiritual practices so far in this conversation has been very, very open and free. Um, and I hope that that's true. I hope I hope that what you're hearing is the way you said it, John, is that it's not it's not um, uh, it's not scary. It's not uh, huge and daunting, but uh, they're accessible. I think there's a lot of joy in spiritual practices. And even that, I think there are things like I, I referenced. There are things that would not typically be considered a classic spiritual practice or spiritual discipline that I think can be spiritual practices. So all of that I think is true. 
However, there is also something incredibly wonderful that we can learn from the historic church for us to look at things that that people have been doing literally for thousands of years to pray. And, and those are some of the specific classic spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. So when we think of prayer, you know, I, when I grew up, I, I, when I grew up, I thought I was bad at prayer because I was taught that prayer is asking God for things. I mean, no one said it that way, but that was really what prayer was. And, you know, I remember my dad telling me to, to make sure I prayed every night before I went to bed. And so I would lay in bed and I would, and I would try to keep my attention focused on, on praying until I fell asleep. But I mean, my kids, so my mind is constantly wandering and most nights I would fall asleep telling God or apologizing, confessing, I'm so sorry that I'm bad at prayer. And, and my dad would take me to these prayer nights at his church and we would spend, they were Monday nights and there'd be like eight to 10 people standing around in a circle for like an hour, hour and a half and just praying prayers of intercession. And they were praying so passionately, like they were so invested in their prayers. And like, and I was just constantly sneaking to look at my watch, like how much longer do we have before this thing is over? Maybe some people are doing that right now. Um, <laughs> but I thought that I was bad at prayer. And, and then when I got to college, I began to learn some different prayer practices. And I began to realize that there are certain types of prayer that don't, that are they're kind of hard for me. And it's hard when intercession, that idea of praying, asking God for something, that is such a uh, basic form of prayer. I think it's where everybody begins with prayer and it's good and it's necessary, right? I mean, it's we're, we're told to intercede, right? Like that's really important. So don't hear me, don't hear me minimizing it. But I've really, really struggled with intercession today. Like to, still to this day, I struggle. Um, but it changed a little bit for me when someone began to talk about intercession in a different way. And, and uh, she talked about intercession as holding a request or a person who you're praying for, holding them in the presence of God and seeking to join God's desire for them or for that request. And when, when that, when she brought that up, it changed the way I interceded. So, so now when I engage in intercession, intercessory prayer, I'm not just, and God, would you do this? And God, would you do that? It's not, you know, it stops being kind of stuffing God's big suggestion box in the sky, hoping for God to read it and like what I suggested, but it, it really became a space of silence and saying, if I'm praying for, if I'm praying, for, so my son had like this assessment today. He's about to go to junior high. My older son is going to junior high. He really wants to be in the extended, like the honors uh, science class. His test scores are like right there, but not enough for them to say you're in. So he had to like go do this kind of assessment today. And we were all like really anxious because he really wants it. Like, we don't care if he doesn't get in, no big deal, but he really wants it. So we were all nervous. So when I'm praying for my son, I'm not asking, I'm not just straight up asking, God, let him get in, let, let him, you know, let him, or even God, let him do his best. Like there's nothing wrong with those prayers, but instead I'm imagining my son, Caden in God's presence. And I'm just holding him in that space. And I'm just saying, God, you know, this boy and you love him even more than I do. And you want what's best for him. And I know that you're good. And I'm just going to hold him here. And I'm going to trust that you're going to do what's best for him. And God, I sure would like that for him to do really well in this assessment and make it into uh, the extended science program. 
So it changed the way I intercede it. But there's another piece of this too. And I, like I, I referenced that I think um, there are different types of prayers that can be hard for us. And there's this wonderful book. I wasn't intending to show, talk about this book, but I'll show it to you. It's called Temper, Prayer and Temperament. Um, and it's, it's written by a couple of uh, psychologists and they, they studied, the, there are four Myers-Briggs temperaments. And they studied people in the different temperaments and their styles of prayer. And what they found was there were there are different styles of prayer that connect with each of the four temperaments. And as they continued to, to study and research, what they found is so the writers are Catholic, and, and they talked about how prayer in the Catholic Church typically corresponds with one specific Myers-Briggs temperament. And when they were talking to people in one of the other three temperaments, what they found was often they believed that they were bad at prayer because they were told this is the way to pray and they struggled with that. And so over time, they developed this for like they basically began to just sort of go through the many of them would just sort of go through the motions and just believe that they could never be good at prayer or they would eventually find another form of prayer that connected with them and then it worked, it worked, that's, a, that's bad language, but like that it really, it, it was a form of prayer that connected with who God wired them to be. And they, they found life in their prayer through that, but they still always struggled with that form of prayer that they were originally told is the way to pray. So the reason I say all of that is I actually believe that God wired each of us uniquely, that we have different, uh, personalities. We have uh, different life experiences. We have different things that, you know, that we're connected to, to our, our, very, our very own stories. And I think because of that, we find that some spiritual practices, uh, like we can say practices of prayer, they fit like a glove. They just come incredibly naturally. And others are a struggle. And what I like to encourage people to do is to experiment with different practices of prayer and to find a practice that connects with you. Like find a practice that fits like a glove. And you have to try a, a number of different practices to get there, right? But when you find that one that connects with you, that, that just seems to come very natural to you, that sort of becomes a foundation of prayer. And I would say we should, we should seek to pray many different ways, like to pray in a number of different ways, to so engage different practices of prayer. But I think it's really important to find that sort of foundational practice of prayer for you that you can continue to engage on a daily basis to, 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 to cultivate that life abiding in Jesus, making your home in him through that practice. Because once you have that foundation, now it becomes really easy to strike out and to go, go try a practice that's harder. And maybe God even says, hey, I know that this practice is hard for you, but there's a, if this season, you should engage this practice. It's easier to go out and do that when you know that your whole prayer life isn't dependent on that being, you know, successful, whatever that means. Does that make sense? So I guess, so my encouragement would be, if you struggle with prayer, maybe the reason you struggle with prayer is not because there's something wrong with you. Maybe it's not because there's something wrong with God. Maybe it's because you just haven't found that specific practice of prayer that connects to the person that God made you to be. And so my encouragement would be try different practices of prayer. And I'm, I'm happy to like, I can, I can share a number of resources 
Johnny, that you can share with people. Like I can, yeah, I can send you a whole bunch of stuff that, that can help guide through different practices. And some of them are, some of them are easy. Some of them are hard. Some of them feel a little bit weird. That's okay. Um, but, but try them. And if, and if, and if they help you to connect with God's presence in your life, if they help you to recognize God's love for you, if they help you to grow in joy, if they give you a sense of abiding peace, well, and the Bible tells us that, that only the Holy Spirit can give us those things. So there you go. There's my suggestion. That's wonderful. Uh, quickly, what are some of the, what are some of the, give us like five, whatever, uh, just a handful of prayer practices uh, yeah. for now. Yeah. So for sure, intercession is, is one, like, I, I want to just reiterate, like I struggle with that. So I certainly don't want to make it sound like I'm in any way diminishing that intercession is so important. It is really important. So, um, so intercession for sure is one, but you might, you might even try interceding the way I, I talked about that sort of pausing and holding someone in God's presence. Um, well, the way I usually do that is I, I, I stay in silence and just imagine I'm, I, I love to pray with my imagination. So just imagine that person in the presence of God, and then I'll pray with words after a time of silence. Um, another practice would be, um, oh, what, what should I mention? Uh, so the practice, one of the practices that really kind of unlocked my life in prayer was a practice called the Jesus prayer. Uh, it's a prayer that comes from the Orthodox tradition. And uh, without going too, into too much detail, it's based on the prayer of the publican in Matthew. I can't remember the reference. Um, and it's a really short, simple prayer. And the prayer just goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And some, some people say, have mercy on me, a sinner, that a sinner part was added later. And, um, and frankly, I don't need to remind myself over and over that I'm a sinner. I've got that pretty, I, I'm, I understand that pretty well. So I don't pray that the, those last two words, but Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And the Orthodox Church, it takes seriously 2 Thessalonians 5.17, where Paul says to pray without ceasing. And so taking that seriously, they develop this practice of prayer called the Jesus prayer. And it's repeating that prayer over and over. And it's helpful to understand that um, that in scripture, anytime someone uh, is asking God to have mercy on them, what they're actually asking for is healing. So when we say, you know, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, we're saying, heal me, make me whole. And, and the way this practice works is you, you set aside about five to 10 minutes uh, every day, morning, evening, afternoon, whatever works for you, but you set aside five to 10 minutes and you repeat the prayer over and over again. And it's not a mantra. You're not like just doing it mindlessly, but you're paying attention to the words and you're praying it intentionally. And then you continue to recognize it throughout the day and you come back to it throughout your throughout the day and you pray it again, Lord Jesus Christ, and God have mercy on you. Maybe you do it two or three times or, um, or a number of times. But what ends up happening is that that prayer almost becomes the way I describe it. It's like a soundtrack to your everyday life. You, you begin to realize that it's kind of just running in the back of your head nonstop. And it's, and it's like this constant reminder that God is with you. And so that practice has been really meaningful to me. Another one is a practice called the examine. Uh, the examine is really a way of reviewing your day with God. And there are five parts to the examine. Uh, and it, it begins with reviewing your day in gratitude. So you look back in the last 24 hours and you say, what are you grateful for in the last 24 hours? And you, and you offer a prayer of gratitude based on that. And then you look back on the last 24 hours and you say, and you can ask different questions. There's always like a positive and a negative question. 
you would say, you might say, when was I aware of God's presence today? And you'll think back through your day, kind of review your day. Sometimes it's even helpful to pull out your calendar and look through your calendar on your phone, look through your calendar and say, when was I, as I went through my day, when was I aware of God's presence? And then you ask the negative question, when was I not aware of God's presence? And so as you review your day with these two questions, you then choose one moment from your day. It might be a positive, it might be a negative. It might be a moment when you were really aware of God's presence or a moment where you were really not aware of God's presence. And you have a conversation with God about it. And you just you just talk to God about it. You Whatever it is you, you have to say about that, you engage in a conversation. And, and that's really the meat of this practice is spending that time reviewing the day and then having a conversation about it. And then the last movement is you now look forward to the next 24 hours. You look forward to the next 24 hours and you start to say, well, how might I, how might I need God's presence in this coming day? How might you uh, do things differently this coming day to recognize God's presence more? And the beauty of this practice of the examine is the more you begin to look back on your day, the more it trains you to recognize God's presence actually in the middle of the day, not just in those 10 or 15 minutes in the morning or in the evening. So those are three that I think are all really meaningful. One of the resources, yeah, yeah, anyway, that's it. I'm not gonna plug something. (laughs) Perfect, thanks. All right, (laughs) let's open it up. Um, You guys have any questions after listening to Jason chat talk for a while? Um, Any questions come to mind? Just giving a little a little wave, and I'll I'll call on you, and you can unmute and chat. Kelly. So, for those of us who don't have a lot of like disciplines already in place, do you have some practical tips for like starting? Because I I feel like our minds are so trained right now to like go down lots of rabbit trails. Hmm. So even just like tips for how to help us stay focused, like when we're just starting so that we can start to gain some traction to, cause I, I imagine like once you're more disciplined at it, like, yeah, you're just more disciplined and like the Lord is meeting you there and helping you, you stay focused, but to just get started so that you feel like you can get some momentum. What are some practical ways to do that? Yeah, I would, the main thing I would say is start simply is the first thing. Um, I don't know. We all have different personalities, but so some people, some people um, might hear something like this and start thinking about spiritual practices and say, oh, oh, so I'm going to do this practice and I'm going to do this practice and I'm going to do this practice because I'm the overachiever. Um, Or you feel like I need to do it this way because this is the right way. Um, I would say start simply. Like if you're new to spiritual practices, pick one. And if, I mean, y'all are talking about, (laughs) I just said y'all. you are talking about uh, uh, prayer in this season. I would say if this is what God is doing in your community right now, where as a community you got you are focusing on prayer, choose a practice of prayer, right? Because there's something about knowing that other people are in it with you and that you're not on your own. And and start simply. Don't try five different practices of prayer, but you know maybe one of those three that I mentioned tonight stood out to you. Um, or maybe there's another practice that uh, practice of prayer that comes to mind. Maybe it's just simply that practicing the presence, which is really just as much as you can throughout your day, recognizing that God is with you. You can set, you know, like you can set an alarm on your phone, on your watch or something or on your phone. And, you know, I don't know, the watches, I don't think watches do like the beep every hour anymore thing. Now we all have our Apple watches and stuff, but, um, you know, you maybe set an alarm on your phone, just like dings every hour and you just, just, oh yeah, God is with me. 
or maybe you pick something where you say, every time you walk through, I can't remember where this came from. Every time you walk through a doorway, just let that be a cue to remember that God is with you. Or um, my friend, Aaron, the guy who started the practice talked about every time he went into a meeting, he scheduled, he made sure that, so I would schedule it because I wouldn't remember otherwise, but he would carve out time before that meeting to pray, to recognize God's presence for what, for whatever happens in that meeting to be what God wants to have happen to, for him to uh, love the other person or other people in that meeting. So maybe, so whatever it is, like pick one practice and start simply. And then what I would say is you have, you really just have to be consistent with it. And so one of the things that, that I love, um, a friend of mine does this where he talks about uh, crafting experiments and you might even just sit down and say for the next 30 days, or maybe you say 40 days, 40 days. It's a nice, it's a nice biblical number. The next 40 days, this is what I'm going to do and write it down and get really, really clear. And, and, and just, and say like, this is, this is my plan for the next 40 days. And I mean, it doesn't have to be super detailed. If you're a detailed person, you want to make a detailed plan. Great. Do that. Um, if you're like me, I'm not a super detailed person. Like I don't want a detailed plan. Just this is what I'm going to do, or this is what I'm not going to do. Um, but make that plan and stick with that experiment and commit to it. Because the reality is all spiritual practices, like they, you might have a really wonderful experience with it once. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the, the gold of every single spiritual practice is the, is the routine of the practice, is the consistent engagement of that practice. It's like, um, like breath prayer that I talked about was really meaningful to me. Like one practice of breath prayer wasn't meaningful, right? Like I never had one time where I was like, oh my gosh, that was such a good time in prayer. It was the way it built up over time and the consistency of that practice that I began to recognize, wow, I am way more aware of God's presence with me in the middle of everything. In the middle of a meeting, I was working in the corporate world at the time. And in the middle of a meeting, I got so angry at someone. And the first thing that, the first thing that came to my mind was, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And those moments you go, whoa, wait a minute, something's going on here. So, so my advice would be begin simply and, and be consistent. Like make a decision. And then as you make that experiment, evaluate it over time. Like, did you make it, is it, um, you know, did you bite off more than you could chew or, or did you maybe go too simple and you can, you can stretch yourself a little bit more, but yeah, that, that's what I would suggest. Start simply and then be consistent. Thank you. You're welcome. Is that, was that helpful? Was that, did that answer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Angela. I'll unmute you. Go ahead. Kelly. Um, for someone who has never, or a, a young believer in Christ, is there any book or resource that they can have to understand what exactly this is, as far as you're saying the practices of, of God or practices of his presence? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Um, for a new believer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I so I'm going to grab this book, which is one of my favorite books that I just read recently. Hopefully the rest of the books don't fall apart. Um, so this is a book called The Making of an Ordinary Saint. Um, it's written by a guy named Nathan Foster. Uh, Nathan is uh, Richard Foster's son. Richard Foster, 42 or three years ago, wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. And that book has uh, 12 different 
spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices in it. So it's things like fasting, silence, solitude, celebration. Did you know celebration is a spiritual practice? Um, I'm trying to think of what some of the other ones are, but, um, but Richard wrote this beautiful book and it is, I mean, honestly, like it, um, it's often credited with uh, beginning a movement in the American church towards spiritual practices. It's a really, really good book, but I think today reading it, I don't think it's super accessible. This book, on the other hand, uh, Richard's son, Nathan, set out to um, practice a different discipline from Richard's book, from his father's book, each month over the course of the year. And then he wrote about it. And it is the book is so uh, honest and winsome and invitational. And it, I mean, it does what, um, honestly, it was a, it's a huge compliment, John, that you said that the way I described spiritual practices was, uh, didn't feel scary. Um, but I feel like what, what Nathan does in this book, he does it even better than I, than I did. And, and it's, it's really, really helpful. So that one, I would, I would, I would point out this book, the making of an ordinary saint, I think would, is really, really meaningful. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, James, go ahead. Uh, Jason, you said that um, a typical service, uh, and, I, and I'm just curious on, on this question here, but a typical service would consist of worship, uh, teaching, and then uh, pulling a practice uh, from that teaching and then communion. Um, so from the teaching, do you typically, in, in, a, in a, a normal service, you typically pull a specific practice out of that teaching or are there sometimes several uh practices that you pull from the teaching what, what's the norm yeah or is there a norm yeah I, I would say that there are there we have two different types of um I'll, I'll kind of back out from a specific service and i'll say a series um we sometimes we will do a series that is thematically based so i'll go back to the very beginning of the year so we started this year and we pre um, we talked about a theme of a, the Christian, um, the historical Christian tradition of detachment. And detachment is really just a way of saying, um, what is it that we are holding on to more tightly than we ought? Like, where are we holding on to a gift more than we are holding on to the giver of the gift? So detachment is this idea. It's, it's really, it's, uh, I mean, in a uh, more... Um, common Protestant language, evangelical language would be surrender. And so we spent, we spent uh, two months talking about detachment or surrender. So the spiritual practices that we would engage throughout that were very specific to whatever we were teaching about that night. So we started talking about um, just an overview of detachment. Then we then talked about how our desires play into this. We then talked about um, um, how our desires can become disordered, how we can we can put a secondary desire first. And then we talked about interior freedom because the idea of detachment is to have the freedom to, to follow Jesus wherever he might take us. So that was all thematic and the practice will come directly, like we'll, it always comes out of the practice or all comes, comes out of the teaching where we'll say, what practice will help us to be formed into the kinds of people who can respond well to this teaching. So that's one kind of series. Another kind of series will focus on a specific practice. So following that, um, following that series, 
we carried that immediately into a series on, on the spiritual practice of fasting. And so we then spent a month and a half that just happened to coincide with Lent, not just happened, that was intentional. Mm -hmm. um, and we and we practiced fasting together as a community. So each time we got together, we were talking about fasting. Why is fasting important? Why is this helpful? Why why is the church practiced fasting? Frankly, I mean, the church has practiced fat, the Christian church has practiced fasting from the very beginning because fasting was a part of the Jewish practice as well, right? So why do we practice this? Why is this so important? So we will teach around that. And then certainly maybe that was, this is a bad example to give because you can't practice fasting for 15 minutes after a teaching. <laughs> Nobody eat for the next 15 minutes. Um, but we, but we would talk about what we were learning from our fasts. We would, um, we would talk about how God was working in the midst of our fast. And we would do practices that would help us to, to reflect on and listen and recognize, recognize that. But other times we'll do a, like we might do a series on, I talked about the practice of the examine. We might do a series on the examine. And so during that series, we're teaching about it. It's history. Where does it come from? Why is this helpful? Like, what are some of the fruit of this practice? And then we will practice it together. And one of the things that's really important for our church is that we all, the invitation is always to continue practicing this, practicing this throughout the week. So we, we have a thing that we say every, so we, right now we gather on Sunday nights. Um, but so every Sunday night we say the words, excuse me, we say the words, Sunday is not the main event. Our actual lives are the main event. And because of that, we say, as we're talking about fasting, the encouragement is to, the invitation is to fast this week. And we, I mean, we set that up. I mean, I talked about an experiment, Kelly, like we, like we crafted experiments for the season of Lent. Like, how are you going to fast throughout this season? And we, we called it an experiment. So um, does that does that answer the question, James? Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, James. Lincoln. Uh, it's kind of similar to what Kelly asked earlier, maybe a similar answer as well. Um, so what would you say to someone who, they're in a place where the last thing that they want to do is go and intentionally be in the presence of God. Hmm. Like, like what John was saying earlier, when like you're just stuck in that rut and you're in a place where like you want to want to be there, but you just, hmm. you're having a hard time getting out over that barrier. That's a great, wow. That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's a hard question, right? Cause that's a really, I mean, it's a, it's a tender question. Cause that's a, uh, sure. You know, when you're when you're feeling that it's it's you it's because of some difficulty. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, I would love to say there's a, you know, there's a a simple kind of catch-all answer, but I don't think that there is. I think um, I think what's most important for someone who's in a space like that is to have someone to talk to, um, mm -hmm. to have someone who will listen to them well. Um, someone who will be present with them in their, in their difficulty. I think that, um, in, a, in times like that, I think that our, our community is more, I mean, our community is always important, but I think community is potentially more important than ever. Um, because we can, we can help to, uh, we can help to represent the presence of Christ in a way, whether that person this sounds, this is a weird way to say it, but whether that person wants it in the moment or not, like just simply there's, there's this wonderful quote by a guy named David Augsburger who says, um, being heard is so close to being loved 
that to most people, the two are virtually indistinguishable. And so when someone is in a difficult space because they, they, they don't want to be in God's presence, it's, um, are they, you know, they, there, there are so many reasons, right? I mean, is, is it because you're angry with God? Is it, are you frustrated with God? Are you questioning, doubting God? Um, and there are other reasons I'm sure as well, but in that, in those spaces, I, like, we just need to, you just need someone to be with you. Like when I've been in that kind of a spot, I just need someone to listen. I just need to know that I'm not alone in that, to know that it's okay to doubt and to question. I think that's, that's one of the things that I, I just feel like we've lost so much in the church these days is that we've somehow communicated that doubt is bad and that asking questions is wrong. And the reality is people doubted and asked Jesus questions all the time, and he never told them they were wrong for doing so. And so I think in those moments, it, so this is not, I don't know that this is the kind of answer you were looking for, Lincoln, sorry, but um, what I would encourage that person to do is like, if someone was asking me, what should I do? Uh, I would say, who, who can you talk to? Like, who do you know who will actually listen to you? Who will hold, like, I love the language of holding space for you to share what you're feeling and what you're processing. Um, I mean, certainly if it was someone that I knew, I would say, I'm open to doing it. <laughs> like, I'll sit with you. Um, and there's, there's a specific practice uh, called spiritual direction where you meet with a person who is trained to hold space. It's, it's not really counseling. It's not the same thing as uh, seeing a counselor or even pastoral counseling. It's, it's really an opportunity for, um, for you to just kind of say what's on your mind in a safe place and for a person to help ask you questions and look for the presence of God in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the, um, the difficulty, in the midst of the struggle and the doubts and the questions. Yeah. Was, that, was that helpful at all? Oh, that was great. I appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. John? Hey, thanks so much for all this uh, wealth of information. Great. Um, so my question is kind of along those same lines, but to somebody who hasn't maybe experienced the presence of God before, what signals and signs should they be looking for during these practices that are reveal the presence of God or that they are in alignment or abiding in him? Like, what does that feel like? What, what kind of things are indicative of being in the presence of God that people can be kind of um, moving towards if they're, you know, building these disciplines into a life for the first time, or they're trying to, you know, do the experiment, what, what kind of things and signals are they, should they be looking for and feeling? And uh, yeah, curious yeah. to hear, hear what your, your personal experience has been with that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think everyone's different. So I don't know that there's, um, one particular answer to that. But I, I would say, you know, is if you're evaluating one specific practice, I know, um, you know, sometimes we, we can have a lot of skepticism around some of these practices. They might come from a, a tradition that we're not comfortable with. Um, you know, I, I specifically mentioned the Jesus prayer, which comes from the Orthodox uh, uh, tradition. I don't know if that uh, ruffled any feathers or anything. But what I typically encourage people to do is to, for as best they can to set aside the sort of evaluative part of their minds when they engage in a practice and 
and just set it aside for the time of the practice so that you can engage it as best you can. Because if you're looking for things that are wrong with the practice, you're, you're not going to really experience God's presence because you're distracted from that. But then to pick that evaluation up again at the end of the practice. Now, what I would encourage people to do in that moment is to ask the question, did you, did you recognize that God was with you? Did you recognize a sense of peace, a sense of calm, a sense of rest? Um, did in some way, I love, I've, I have friends who lead uh, silent retreats and, and they, they say this, or yeah, silence and solitude retreats. And one of the things they say at every single retreat is they say, so we're sending you off to spend your time in silence and solitude. We have no idea what's gonna happen when you go, but we know two things. One, God will be with you and in some way, God will tell you that you are loved. And so the other question I would ask is, as you reflect on a practice, did you, did you have a sense of your belovedness? Did you have a sense that, that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine? Like, is there an abiding sense of that? Did you, did you have an experience of joy or peace? Did you have a sense of um, that things were, were just were right? You know, I mean, peace, shalom is the sense of everything is working together in the way that, that God designed it. Did you find yourself, um, you know, do you find yourself uh, being moved with kindness? Do you find yourself, your, um, maybe your attitude towards other people uh, is a little softer, a little kinder, a little more gentle? Obviously, I'm walking through fruit of the spirit right now, right? So paying attention to those, those moments. And, and honestly, I think we, it's really hard to notice God, God with us because I think we're, we're all very different. For some people, it is like we feel it in our bodies. There's a, a feeling that we might have. Like I, I think of moments where I feel like God is inviting me to do something. Like I tend to feel this sort of like fluttering in my chest. It's not quite like butterflies, like nervous butterflies, but it's kind of like that, but it's a little bit different. Um, other times it's just intuition. Like for me, more often than not, when it comes to uh, discerning a path forward, there's just a sense of this is right. And I can't articulate why, but there's just a sense of intuition that this is the right thing. Um, and obviously all of those, you, I mean, you having community is helpful to, to check all of those sorts of things, right? You don't just go like, this seems right. And, you know, maybe it's something crazy. Um, for some people, it's rational. For some people, it's it's a connection in their minds as they recognize, oh, this makes sense. And I start to see a connection between this and this. Um, so I think everyone experiences it differently. But uh, what I would say, the main thing I would say is after, if you're practicing, if you're engaging a spiritual practice over a period of time, do you find yourself growing to be more like Jesus? Are you thinking more like Jesus, acting more like Jesus? Are you acting more out of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? I just figured I needed to finish them all out. <laughs> is that helpful, John? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, those things should follow. I think in the moment, that, that was kind of the, the question I had was, what is that, um, if there was a feeling around that? But I, I, I totally know what you mean in, in terms of how it would, overflow and outflow in those, um, in the fruits of the spirit for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of my, another spiritual practice that I love is a prayer, a practice called imaginative prayer, where you imagine that you're entering into a, a gospel story and there's mm -hmm. the, 
the key moment in any imaginative prayer is a moment where you kind of settle in from observing what's going on and placing yourself in the scene to actually being in the presence of Jesus. And there's something about it, you know, that sort of connected moment where you, you walk away just, there's a, and again, I'm describing how it feels to me, but there's just, there's a feeling of connectedness with Jesus and the, and what comes out of that feeling of connectedness is that sense of peace and rest and comfort and all is right in the world. Um, and then, and then I would always say that as we come out of these sorts of practices, it, it really is important to, to have community around us and, and to engage scripture in a way that, that does keep us from, I mean, we, we can certainly be, um, we can be distracted and we can hear things that we want to hear sometimes, not necessarily what God is actually saying to us. And so having some of those checks around us to keep us, um, to, to keep us accountable, to, to, um, to serve us in that way is important. Great. Thank you. Great. Thanks, John. Any other questions? All right. Awesome. We can, uh, we can wrap it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for all your, uh, your time and all of, of your knowledge and the practices and for helping us better experience God through them. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is a blast.